Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Well, hello there, and welcome to Frankie's Sense and More. It's, <laughs> we've been away for a week. We had a few little hiccups here, I guess. Um, but it's so great to be back. I was in Mexico last week visiting family. Actually, I was interviewing my dad for a book that I'm going to write on his life, and that was really exciting. Learned a whole bunch of stuff I didn't know. <laughs> Maybe don't want to either. I don't know. Um, but... You know, it's there, and I'm back, and I'm happy to be here. Today, uh, since it was the end of the month last week, and Brent couldn't be with me, uh, he's here this week. So Brent Marchand is joining us uh, on this show. He's going to show us and review some fantastic movies that you are going to want to get out and see. As you know, Brent Marchand is the good radio network's movie correspondent and critic, so we're very excited that, that he's here with us today. But... I also want to thank uh, Michelle Empson for making the suggestion and the connection to Nancy Osborne, our guest today. Uh, she, she's graciously pinch-hitted, not that I wouldn't want her anyway, I do, um, but my guest had to uh, follow, and Nancy is here, and we are very excited that she is, so thank you so much, Michelle, for that wonderful suggestion. As I said, Nancy is with us, and she's not the Hollyoaks soap star, but she is the founder of I Got This, Unlocking Your Instincts. Nancy's a former major in the Canadian Forces. Now, that is badass, right? And one of the first women to ever make it in a previously male-only branch. After 21 years of breaking through the cement ceiling in the military, she was recruited by the United Nations. You know, I love the United Nations. To support humanitarian operations in some of the most dangerous and culturally mis... uh, why can't I say that word now? <laughs> Misogynist places in the world, like the Sudan, South Sudan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Haiti, and of course Papua New Guinea, to name a few. She is a professional speaker today. She's a workshop facilitator who provides workshops and talks around the globe, from Afghanistan to New York. And her workshop, I Got This, inspires women to embrace their power, overcome their fears, and step into a confidence that ensures they're safe, heard, respected, by both genders. So welcome, Nancy. Hi, Frankie. Thank you. <laughs> That's too funny. Misogyny. <laughs> I, I always, I, 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 you know, every week I'm like, Trump is such a misogynist. He's such a, and I can't, the words are there and I can't even say it. Anyway, oh, welcome it. to the show. Hi, thank you. I'm really where, happy to be here. Where did you grow up in Canada? Uh, well, I, I was uh, born in Toronto. Uh, really? I was actually given up for adoption and adopted there in Toronto. Um, and then spent uh, very early teen years in Aurelia and moved to, um, yeah, moved to Aurelia and then joined the army at 17. So the army at 17. Is that because of your closeness to penetanguishing or is that just because you couldn't <laughs> wait to get out of here? <laughs> I couldn't wait to get out of there. I, I'd actually run away from home at 16. I'd lived in a campground until it got way too cold to stay there. Um, so, and, and the army definitely paid better than the circus. So I thought that yeah. was a good choice. You I know? <laughs> army when I was 17. They wouldn't take me. Oh, I was no. The US, yeah. I wanted yeah. to join the air force. I go, will you let me fly, fly planes? And they go, no. I go, okay. So I went down the next like, Navy. I said, will you let me fly planes? And you know, no, you're a woman. No, go to the army. I looked in there and I walked away and he goes, hey, 
get back here. How, why aren't you coming in here? I go, who the hell wants to join the army? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you may have a good point there, actually. <laughs> no, no, I actually had a great time. And, and you mentioned the 17, and that's so interesting because this was the 70s, and yeah. the Canadian military, the regular military, still took 17-year-olds. Um, but they took a lot of flack over that. And years later, when I'm working for UNICEF, working with child soldiers, I'm sitting in the office of a friend who is the chief of child protection, flipping through a book and I see Canada and I go, Canada? And I said, yeah, in the 70s, they took children at the age of 17 and didn't change that until the mid 80s. And I go, oh my goodness, I was a child soldier. I was a child soldier. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Wow. That's incredible. So when you when you joined the, um, the army at 17, where did you do your training? Oh, um, I started out in Cornwallis down on the East Coast uh-huh. and then in Borden for my trade specific training. And were there any other women there? Yeah, there was a few. So we were, I think um, most of the courses going through then would have maybe three or four women each on them. Um, didn't all, all of them last very long, but yeah. they were. So they built they built a barracks for you or they built a some rooms for you, you girls? Uh, or did you... Yeah, they, they stuck us in with people from other branches as well. So there were certainly other women um, just okay. not in our branch. So they just stuck us in with a bunch of other people or they would wing off an area in the men's yeah. barracks sometimes. Yeah, they they kind of. I, I won't say they went out of their way to make us comfortable. No. No. I don't think. I still don't think they do that. What What was your training? What was your specific training? Did you go for? Well, when I started out, um, and what were you I, allowed to go for? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it was really interesting because when I when I went down to the recruitment office, I did all the testing, and I guess I did extremely well on it. And so he's, you know, he's saying, "Well, we'll send you to the Royal Military College, and you can do this, and you can do that." And and I said, "Well, no, no." Um, and it was the first year in Canada when the RCMP and other police departments were taking women into police. Yeah. And, and I said, no, I, I actually want to be an MP. I want to be a police officer. Uh-huh. And he looked at me, no, no, you don't. No, you don't. And I said, yeah, I, I really do. And so he sent me away. He said, no, there's no openings. And then a few days later, he calls me. He said, have you thought about the other stuff? And I go, no, I still want to be a police officer. And he said, okay, there really are openings. I lied to you, but okay, you're in. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's interesting, too, because like not very many people, like if you're not university educated, you don't get to start in as an officer. You don't go to that. You know? making the offer to me because of how well I had done. Okay. And he will actually educate you. They were willing to send me to university or to the Royal, Royal Military College, um, where you have sort of a, you know, you have to do so many years afterwards to sure. pay that back. But they were willing to do all that. But I was, um, yeah, that was not what was in my head. And I was only 17. So the civilian police forces wouldn't take you till you were 21. And I'm thinking, okay, how do I work this? So from 17 to 21, I can get four or five years of experience yep. and then walk through the door and say, I've already got all this experience. So that was my original plan. Didn't turn out that way, but that was the plan. So, at the when time. you envision yourself an RCMP officer or a police officer, what did you what did you think you would be doing? Did did because did, I I wanted to join it just to ride the horses. Okay, that's where my head was at. Where did <laughs> what did you think you would be doing? With you on that one? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I was, you know, I had done exceptionally well in school and, and um, even through some really difficult times, I had still done exceptionally well at school. And mm-hmm. So the academic side came easy. And in my 17 year old brain, I wanted to do other things. I wanted to do things that were more physical. I wanted to be on the road. I wanted to be meeting and dealing with people. I wanted to help people when they were in, in crisis mm-hmm. 
I wanted to be there and, and, you know, I wanted to build my strength to be able to do arrests and all of the other things that you think of, um, of police officers. And, and it was just that I wanted a balance and that was the direction I wanted to go next. And so I got it. And one of the first women in the branch to do that, but, uh, there were a lot of other carrots that they dangled in front of me to be the first at this, the first at that. Wow. Good for you. Cause I would think, you know, just talking to you and, and knowing a little bit about your history, not very much yet. Um, but a 17-year-old who left home like myself, independence is something that would be extremely important to you. And how difficult was it for you to be told what to do? Do you know, it was interesting because I think um, at 17, although I thought that I was independent and I thought I wanted independence, Mm -hmm. I think the military, you know, there were obviously problems at home. My mother had just passed away. And so there wasn't much structure or family. Mm -hmm. And and I think the military, in a way, provided that sense of family, that sense of structure. So although I was one who often questioned (laughs) when I was Mm -hmm. told what to do, um, it still really fit. And I, I really give credit for those developing years. So 21 years and in the military, um, starting off, you know, going in as MP, where did, where did that take you? Well, I started out as a private um, and I ended up being promoted quite quickly. I worked in plainclothes operations for a while as well. Um, I became the first uh, qualified sarge- female sergeant in the branch and that made me a senior NCO. And at that point in time, they um, asked if I would consider commissioning again, going as an officer. And they had a program that was called Commissioning from the Ranks and I would be the first woman to ever be included in that program. So I well, actually, yeah. somebody talked me into it. I, I was kind of determined I was going to be the first warrant officer and all these other things. And, and, and a very wise person spoke to me and said, Nancy, you've already proven yourself to all of us. You know, you've got to realize you've, that's done. Go and do something else and, and be great at that. So I said, okay. And off I went. Um, so again, promoted quickly, uh, ended up as a senior officer as a major before I retired. And, you know, by that point in time, I found that I was starting to get into a bit more of the bureaucracy and I wasn't maybe having as much fun. And everybody always says, did you miss the military when you left? And I go, you know, I was already missing what had been going on five and 10 years before. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, I, wasn't really missing it when I left it. Yeah. How, how, how difficult was it for you to, you know, obviously your workshops are about women being heard in a male-dominated arena. How difficult was it for you, you and your ideas to be heard? Well, yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great question. Cause at 17, when you walk into all these old boys and you know, you're the baby and you're the girl and they don't mm-hmm. really want you there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of testosterone to talk over at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I found that a sense of humor went a really long ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always respectful. There were certain things and, and people often ask, you know, how were you treated in those days? And, you know, they hear all the horror stories and I go, you know what, at that point, you kind of considered it a condition of service. Mm-hmm. And so you put up with a lot. You never thought to question it. But I think that that fortunately I was able to throw back as good as I got uh, without getting angry or emotional or, you know, particularly taking it personal. So, you know, when we were called the split asses of the branch, um, mm-hmm. I thought, fine, you know, I can throw things back just as well as I can take it and that took me a long ways and yeah, then, I bet it did. yeah and I was proficient I was good at what I did uh, and eventually you gain that respect and when you gain that respect from the men then they defend you um, tooth and nail against anybody else so I think I was very it was tactical but I was very fortunate too 
Wow. We are, we got a little less than a minute before our first commercial break. And I want to, can you give us a visual? Like how tall were you back? Like you're probably the same height back then, but how, <laughs> how tall were you? Like, what did you look like quickly, you know, before we go to break? Yeah, I was, I was about five, six and a half. Uh, I probably have shrunk a little bit by now um, in one direction and put it uh, yeah. the other direction. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was world. never slim. I was never a jock. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and so I was relatively Bit, but I wasn't a runner and a lot of the things that were required, I really wasn't that good at. You're just a typical girl. Yeah, I absolutely was. Okay. Well, we're going to go to commercial break, Nancy. When we come back, we are going to talk more about you and your programs and all the stuff that you've done in your life because it's so fascinating. Out there, stick around. Warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. It's merging. Emergency room nurse will tell you they receive some weird and wild calls. I used to be the night ER nurse at Hennepin County General Hospital in Minneapolis and remember getting a call from someone who was worried about if it mattered or not if their belly button was an innie or an outie. It doesn't matter, but if you're an outie, you are definitely the minority. Still, that's good news because you don't have to worry about a little problem that people with innies have. Pledge it. That's another word for belly button lint. Researchers say the color of the pledget in your belly button is related to the clothing you wear, just like the lint that collects in your clothes dryer. A friend of mine from the Philippines says they call it a chikachu. What do you call a person who's obsessed with their belly button? An amphiloxakite. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Now that the children are back in school, a new dilemma arises. What do you feed them for afternoon snacks? This truly is a quandary, but one that can be solved with a little planning. The key is to have healthy snacks that taste good on hand at your house. Don't buy food that you don't want your kids to eat. Forego buying store-made cookies and chips since you don't want your children to eat those. Instead, have fresh fruit and delicious cheeses with multi-green crackers waiting for them when they get home from school. Grapes, yogurt, whole wheat bagels, and low-fat string cheese are delicious and nutritious. It's protein and fiber-rich snacks that help everyone feel satisfied and full until dinner. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Hello there. Welcome back. It's Frankie Sense and more. My guest today is Nancy Osborne. She was just talking to us about her uh, stint, her stint, her 21 years in the the Canadian military, ending up as a major. Um, Nancy, let's go back there. Let's finish that off for a moment. And then we're going to move over to the other fun thing that you did working for uh, United Nations. You... um, you started in military, you started as a police officer, that's what you wanted to go into, you you went up the ranks, you became a sergeant, you split that, then you, uh, what happened after sergeant? You became... Uh, that, that's when I was commissioned, so I became yep. an officer, yep. Yeah. Yep. And and now, um, give us give us those years towards major. 
Okay, uh, that was really interesting. So the the one position that was interesting was you were more or less the equivalent of a chief of police in, in a small community. Oh. Um, that I really enjoyed. That was yeah. great. And then I also worked for our special investigations unit for a period of time, and I oh, headed up neat. the special operations. And so that was, um, yeah, a lot of covert work, and we worked in different places around the world. And it was fascinating, and, and I really loved that period of time. There were some wonderful people on the team as well so did that for a number of years at which point I met the man I would someday marry and I was getting close to retirement so I took a posting that would put me a little closer so that I could actually see if we could have a relationship and that was at our school and it was my second tour at our school so I went back and I'd spent um well, two tours where I was uh, instructing and training, and when I'd been in the ranks, I'd done everything there was from mm-hmm. law to unarmed combat. And so when I went back, I was now in charge of uh, the trainers in different areas, and that was that was pretty good as well. I really enjoyed it. And was your husband in the military? Not at all. And no. and his first comment to me, I think one of the first dates we ever had, he said, you're not what I expected at all. He said, I just remember cadets from school and they all seem just a little bit weird. <laughs> so I was like, okay, honey. You know. Well, that's a little strange. <laughs> yeah. Like, were you well, on a date at this point? Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting to go any further or what, but... <laughs> That's great, yeah. But but I think I took that as a compliment as well, because there were often times, and partly from my physical appearance and so on, that people would say, no way, you're not in the military, you're not this, you're not that. And I always liked that there was a balance there, that I could still be, you know, the girl next door and rock at my job. So I was happy. Yeah, that's really cool. And, like, you don't sound like a guy. You don't talk like, you know, a woman who was in charge of all these guys and you know, oh, that's a great comment because one of the things that, that I often say is you need to be a chameleon. Yeah. And so, you know, there would be the Nancy who would sit down with the girls or whatever it was and, and you know, have a lot of fun. Um, but there were times, too, when I'd sit down with the guys and I'd have to put on the, the, the hat and I'd have to tell some more stories. And, you know, so you had to sort of switch between the two. And, I, and, and, and of course, there might have been a lot of cussing in that world as well. And that was always the challenge was, you know, try to leave that there. And when you go to talk to kids and people with kids, try to try to leave that out of the conversation. Yeah, that must have been a tough one. (laughs) I still don't do very well. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. So after um, when when you retired from the military, did they give you what kind of send off did they give you? Oh, um, watch did you, you know, do they cry? Like what happened? Like how fast? We had a you know a rather uh, big party uh, um, uh, a meal together and uh, yeah it was there were uh, you know plaques and and different things that were a standard part of it but I have to say that that I really really can thank a couple of the women in our office now they were civilian women but they were working on a going away gift and and normally this would be you know something like a big plaque or yeah. something that I probably wouldn't hang on my wall right. and. So they came to me and said, Nancy, is there anything you'd really like? And so there was a couple of lamps that I'd been looking at oh. that were way out of my range at the time. And I said, oh, I, I do like those if you can get me. And they ended up getting me two of them. And I went, that's great. So I think one of them still in our house now some 20 some odd years later. Oh, wow. And, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they were really sweet that really way. Like getting very- what you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you pick something. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that's awesome. And children? No. No um, children. Okay. And that's that's been fine as well. I mean, yeah. my husband and I to that when we married and we married a little late in life uh so that was just you know one of those things where we had decided and as much as uh, you know i have nieces and nephews who yeah. i hope are listening right now and who i absolutely adore and i adore the great nieces and nephews but in my lifestyle i don't think i would have had the energy to put into both sides of the coin mm-hmm. and I either would have done both poorly or you know had to given up one or the other and so i really am blessed in so many ways that my life has gone the way it has and the fact that children didn't happen was fine because it it did open a lot of other doors for me so where in your career did you marry like where were you were you major yet (laughs) I was okay but you hadn't you had you were still in the military you hadn't joined the UN yet no, no, I was okay. still in the military, and I was introduced to my my husband um, by a very dear friend. She was marrying his best friend, and okay. he and I were going to be standing up for them at their wedding, and so they thought they'd introduce us nice and early because they thought we would have some differences, yeah. and, you know, perhaps we could work those out before the wedding day. Well, <laughs> we had more fun than anybody, but that was beside the point. Um, so we met, and then we had dated for a few years. We decided we'd get married. My husband was saying, you know, oh, well, maybe maybe we should get married, you know, after you've retired. And I can say that I married a pensioner. And I said, yeah, and we can go hang out at the Legion all day long. Honey. Yeah, no, fun. <laughs> so we got married the year before I retired. Which Where was- were you living then? By then, we had actually, we were living together. We'd bought our home in Huntsville that we're still oh, in you're now. Oh, you in Huntsville. Okay. Yep. All these years later. Uh, and I was commuting. I was commuting back and forth to board. So it was quite a commute and a bit of a strain, but it was really worth it. Yeah. So after um, you left you left the military, you were recruited by the United Nations to support humanitarian operations. As I said in this, you know, um, in places far and far away from Canada, like Sudan and Afghanistan, Pakistan, Haiti. How long were you away for during those stints? So the initial contract was for a year and I went to Sudan and Jay could come. Uh, He could come to the capital. He couldn't go other parts of the country where I went, but he could come to the capital. So we lived there together for a year. And then after that first year, I started doing shorter contracts. So they'd be four or five months and I'd be in and out. And and that worked really well for keeping a balance in life. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that Jay was, I mean, he really enabled me and and a lot of people said, yeah, were were you in the you know the UN as well? He he'll be the first one to tell you I'm in forestry. I didn't have something I could give to that, but he said what I could do was make it easy for Nancy and be able to support her and let her go and do it. And um, I'm getting goosebumps here as I'm yeah. talking about it, just because he he's seen the world in that light. And so despite the dangerous places and all the other things, he has always been my biggest supporter. And people often say to him, oh, doesn't it bother you that Nancy's off in these dangerous places? And he said, you know what? I have full confidence in her. She's not a cowboy. She's not going to do something stupid. And she is happy. And this is what she's passionate about. So these are the risks we take. And that's important. And I just, you know, I can't say enough about this guy, obviously. And we've been married for well over 20 years. And Well, um, it sounds pretty selfless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he, yeah, he is. Uh, I always say I'm a little bit selfish, uh, but he's the selfless one. That's for sure. <laughs> well, you know what? If, you know, for some people, it doesn't matter, right? For they don't have as much passion towards something as, as others. And so it's great that they can, they can play that supporting role. And I'm sure that, you know, he gets great comfort from you too. So 
Um, oh, absolutely. It goes both and, ways, right? Yeah, and there was Has a period. To. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a period when he was fighting forest fires. And in mm-hmm. fact, he almost didn't make it to our wedding because oh. they were stuck up north fighting fires. And he was jumping in and so on. And they were burned out one time. He brought home, you know, the buckles from his uh, his shoes and different oh, things like wow. that. So, you know, it was a little tit for tat in there as well. Yeah. And and I know that he loved that. And, and I was always behind him. And, you know, kind of did the last little wedding preparations at the very end by myself because he was away. And, you know, it was all good. So I think it's just been a wonderful, supportive relationship. We're best friends and so, so lucky. So when you were um, in the Sudan and Afghanistan and Pakistan, did you work with um, local women there? I, I would work more with the staff, but yes, with local women as well. Now, my work took me to some really interesting places. And when the Darfur crisis uh, first broke, mm-hmm. I was actually, uh, they, they had sent in what's called the UNDAC team just to set up an office. And that was all that they were doing. And I went in with them to the Darfur's and sort of was the first person to go into any of the they weren't really camps um, where the genderweed had rounded people up mm-hmm. and deal with that and do the, I guess the best way you can put it is negotiation for safe passage for humanitarian workers to follow. Mm-hmm. And so at that point in time and in, in doing that, I was certainly um, interacting with a lot of the people in the camps uh, where my main role was around the, the risk assessment that went for our staff to go there. And it's an interesting thing because the job really went from and and all aspects, every country is different. So from being in the Dar Force and sitting down with the rebel commanders and so on, who've just raped and pillaged a village and trying mm-hmm. to make sure you negotiate safe passage, um, to sitting down with the executive director of UNICEF and talking about strategies on how to get other into um, some of the most difficult to reach places. So this has been, a, it was an amazing career because it just took in so much and every aspect of it was absolutely fascinating. And I'll, I'll do a little shout out for UNICEF here because I think the executive executive director, Tony Lake, is is someone that I admire more than just about anybody in the world. Oh, He's that's an, good to hear. Oh, an amazing man and, and his sort of equity agenda and the need to, you know, you can reach a lot of children in the safer areas who definitely need help, but it's just as important to reach the children in the hard to reach areas for, you know, usually because of war and insecurity and yep. so on. It's just as important to reach them. So we really worked on a lot of different strategies on how analysis could help us get in. You know, when you can't get in with armored vehicles and body armor, um, you've got to find other ways. And that's got to involve the communities and negotiations and analysis. So I really enjoyed that part of that's it. That's really good to hear because, you know, most people, you know, know about UNICEF is, you know, the, the little cans at Halloween and collecting money. Yeah. And you think, you know, yes. you're saving kids, right? But And then they think, well, am I really saving kids? Like, what's really going on here? But no, it's good to hear. Um, you know, I've had the director for More Child on the show, and, and she talks about doing similar work. And, you know, I think it's fantastic. And at least uh, people get to go home. We've only got a minute, bef- probably less, okay. before we go to our commercial. But I did want to um, maybe ask you when I come back, I'm going to write it down so I, I don't forget. Um, I want to talk to you about white helmets and what you think is going on there, because I think that um, the work that they're doing in Syria not being allowed safe passage for, you know, community workers is something that's kind of scary. I think. But anyway, we'll talk about that when we come back from our break. And we're going to talk about all things more from Nancy Osborne. And we'll get into her I Got This Unlocking Your Instincts and how she helps women today. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back for another Frankie Sense and More. And then coming up in about, I don't know, 10 minutes or so after that, we we have Brant Marshall. He's going to talk about some fantastic movies that you should be going out to see. Stick around. Stay close. 
You're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelov Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many of us look forward to the holidays all year long. It is such a magnificent opportunity to get together with family and friends and decorate and give gifts and eat the most delicious food. But numerous people dread the holidays. As far as their weight, health, and exercise are concerned, they know they'll have so much temptation and chances to derail their healthy lifestyle. Many just resolve themselves into thinking that gaining weight over the holidays is a fact and there is no way to avoid it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to embrace the holidays. Have a plan before you go to any dinner, party, or event and decide what you're going to eat and stick with it. Yes, there will be temptation, but you can overcome it. Stay with the plan and reap the benefits. You can contact us at Fitness Minute at AnnetteHammond.com. Okay, well, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> no, no cues for Frankie today. It's Frankie Sensen Moore. We are back, Joan. Um, Joan Osborne. Why do I say Joan Osborne? Uh, <laughs> one of God. Um, it's Nancy Osborne. She's here with us today. Better than Joan Osborne, really. And she, um, I, I threw her the question out of her realm, but I threw it to her anyway. About the about the white helmets who are on the ground in Syria, trying to get the children um, out of the war zone, asking if they can move them, and having a lot of big nos to that. So maybe just give you yeah, a, that's, a few thoughts well, on that. And, and when I mentioned, uh, you know, my dealings with the executive director from UNICEF, and so this is, you know, before I retired, so probably a year and a half, two years ago. And, you know, our ability to get into some of the areas in Syria was just being blocked and blocked and blocked. And to get any aid or to get any of the, the displaced people out, all of those things were constantly blocked. And so the white helmets on the ground have in so many places been doing what nobody else could do. And it's amazing what they've done. And I think the, the level of bravery and the commitment and the passion that they have towards this is absolutely incredible. And there absolutely needs to be more help from outside. But they're has to be agreement on the two sides to facilitate mm -hmm. that and allow the help to come in. Absolutely. Um, while you are listening to Nancy and after, please go to www.igotthis.space, S-P-A-C-E, and look up her website. Um, let's go on to your I Got This. You, you talk in your talk uh, titled Collaboration Power, you 
you know, you share stories and tactics with women to ensure that their voices aren't just heard, but that they're respected too. And I know, um, coming from the same era as you, that in doing a lot of first jobs as well, that men, you know, they thought, oh, well, she's a woman. Why, you know, she's doing, she, she gets the job because of her sexuality or she gets more sales because of this or, or that. And, and so you get the pat on the head, but you're not very respected. So how do you teach women to, to speak in such a way that, it, you know, they don't, they don't get, oh, you're whining. They don't get, oh, you're, um, you know, you're screaming at me. Like, can't, can't you just talk like a normal person? You're too emotional. You're this or that. How do you teach women, you know, that skill of being heard as if they were just another human being? Well, it, you know, I think there's there's a lot of levels in this. Um, you're a radio personality, so you also know that that if you had a very high voice, it would be di- more difficult for people to listen to. So one, of course, is 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 modulating their voice and making sure that their voice is in a pocket that people hear and listen to. Um, and it doesn't mean that we change who we are, but it does help us when we watch our posture and we listen to our voice and we project. So there's ways to do things with your voice. There's certainly body language. Um, I look at one of the things, uh, such as you may have read about Obama's uh, inner sort of advisors, where the women felt they weren't getting a voice at the table and weren't being heard and people were taking their ideas and the same thing that happens at a Mm -hmm. lot of boardroom tables. And they actually got together and said, okay, you know, we're going to have a pact here. If one of the women speaks up and says, I've got this idea, someone else is immediately going to come in and say, hey, Susan's got this great idea and make sure that it's owned by Susan. And even if you don't agree with it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's still, you know, look at Susan's idea. I'm, I'm feeling a little different, but I want to listen to this. I want to hear what Susan has to say. Mm-hmm. So that sort of supporting of each other. And then, you know, there's things that we can do as well that maybe don't come across as so aggressive, but we often get them mansplaining or the talking over or somebody who's going to, you know, you put forward an idea and immediately they go, oh, no, 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 I've got this idea. And then they say the same thing in slightly different right. words. And, you know, my answer to that is, hey, George, that's a brilliant idea. I'm really glad that you agree with me on that. I love the way you framed it. That was very nice to take my idea and put it that way and sort of, you know, find ways where we can just grab that right back. And, and you know, some of the things that men do, you know, you negotiate before you get into the meeting. You make sure you've got some people on side. There's so many different things that we can do to make sure we have a voice at the table. And, I mean, I learned them kind of the hard way. And I want to make sure that women have these tools with them so that when they go in, they understand the rules of the game. So it isn't that we change who we are. It's not that we want to be one of the guys. It's just that we understand the rules of the game when we sit down at the table. And it, it's, a, it's a hard game. I mean, you, you look at how you dress. If you show cleavage, then, you know, you're, it's too you much know, sexuality. Yeah. If you dress in, you know, too severely, then you're some butch girl who, you know, you yeah. just want to be one of the guys. Um, and, and so there's a very fine line of femininity, um, you know, with a little bit of your masculinity, you know, to, to, to <laughs> yeah. see you firmly in the ground. It's, it's a really fine line that women have to walk. And, and, but yeah. when you get it, you get it. And, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with stepping into our own confidence. And we always talk about enabling women. And I'm like, you know, well, wait a minute. Why are men automatically able and we have to be enabled? You know, yeah. we all have this confidence and, and we just need to step into it. We need to own it. And I think, you know, a lot of times in the UN, and I, I can think of a couple of occasions when there were other women at the table and I would see this happening and they'd sort of sit back and, and allow it to happen. And I'd be the one to step in and speak up. And, and I might make a bit of a joke or I might wait 
a few minutes and then bring it back around. Mm -hmm. But I always made sure that what they were saying, you know, because it's important and you have some brilliant women out there. And I think from a corporate perspective, they really should be wanting to hear what their women have to say. They're going to have some wonderful things that are lost if they don't make that space. And so uh, this was something I did. And one of the women when, well, a number of women, but one in particular when I left said, Nancy, you can't retire. You're our only voice at the table. And I said, (laughs) that's got to change. That has really got to change. And that's great that I can be your defender and I can do it with a bit of humor. But we've got to teach other women how to do this, how to get in there, be heard without necessarily offending. And, you know, a big thing is women take things personally and and men don't. And so when something is said at the table, we kind of sit back and take that as a personal slight and we take it internally. And the reality is guys shoot things at each other as well. But when they leave the table, it's like, oh, ha, 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 let's go for a beer. And so there's certain things that we just, and those are the rules of the game. And we need to understand the rules that we're, you know, in the game we're playing. So, I mean, we are emotional creatures. And so when women do take it to heart and they have a hard time, you know, fluffing that off, they'll sit and eat with that, eat that uh, slate forever. Um, What's your advice? Like, how do you get them to get past that? Well, one of the things I talk about, and I talk about this in my workshop as well, um, and I talk about, I am, believe it or not, one of the most emotional people you will ever meet. I cry at commercials, I cry at music, I cry for everything. And I talk to women that, you know, in the workplace, that's when it used to be really tough for me because when I would feel myself welling up in the workplace for some reason or another because I was feeling angry and hurt um, and the tears would start. The first thing you do is you run away to the bathroom and you hide. One of the other women comes in, she says, okay, that makes you cry more. And then you can't go back out. And, you know, it's just this kind of vicious circle that we all go through. And I said, there came a certain point where I realized, you know what? I got to learn to own my tears. They are a part of who I am. This is a part of my makeup and I can't change that. I can't stop crying. So, you know, if somebody turns around and belittles me or bullies me and I feel myself falling up and I've got these tears, you know, I learned how to look back at them with, you know, with the confidence, hold up my, my, you know, my shoulders back and my head up and look at them with the tears running down my face and say, Hey, you see this, you see these tears, you did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not happy. This is your first sign. Now let's start this conversation over again and, and find a way to own those tears and say, this is a part of who I am. It's going to happen. If I run away and hide, then mm-hmm. I lose every time. So that's one of my big things. Own your tears. Men don't fight fair when, when it comes to women. Like they'll call you a fat cow or they'll, they'll attack, you know, where women hurt is their body image, right? Um, yeah. They don't do that to men. They go, you, you fat stomach, you. <laughs> They wouldn't care because they think they're perfect. <laughs> I, I have found ways to sort of throw that one back as well yeah. in, in some environments. And, I'll, uh, you know, I use this one in the military, but also because I was working in also a non-traditional role in the UN in sort of the security element where they originally or they used to only hire sort of the old boys network from police and military. And I can remember sitting during the, the war in Lebanon and I was chairing a meeting and there was about 30 of these old boys around the table and they were talking about somebody not having balls and this and that and you know yeah they got no balls they won't stand up for this and and I finally said whoa enough of that chat you know when it comes to balls in this room I figure I'm about average you all know what I've got so let's just move on (laughs) (laughs) it worked like a charm (laughs) I always talk about my lady balls (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, that's great. Yeah, so cool. the women have, you know, the women have come through your your seminars and your workshops, and um, the 
the overall you know feeling after is it oh thank you so much nancy like you finally gave me my self-respect or you gave me the confidence to walk you what, what are you what are you hearing and that's exactly and i started this as a project within the un and that's what took me around the globe doing this with women from all different countries so from afghanistan to new york and what i realized was the feedback was so strong and exactly what you were saying is thank you this is what i needed and i needed to do this with other women so that i realized that we're all the same with the same problems and we need to support one another and so that feedback well one it just really um you know the demand when exponential within the UN and then when I brought this home I said yeah this is what I need to do here as well because women need to to sit with other women and to hear other women share the same fears other women share the same passions Mm -hmm. and a lot of times we internalize and we keep things to ourselves and we realize after the fact oh that was happening to five other women too so that's what really motivated me and got me going it's interesting, isn't it, how, how the more we think we're different, we're the same. No matter where we are, we're human beings, and we have the same issues, same feelings, you know, maybe some, a few, few more than others, especially in some of the places that you've been. But um, generally speaking, women share what Absolutely. the same experiences. Yeah. To the core, and I always say it's not a competition on whose is worse. To the core, we're the same with those same concerns, those same passions. So we're just women, and we need to stick together. Yeah. Um, Brent's here. We're going to say hi to Brent. We got a couple of minutes before we go to the commercial break, but let's welcome him. Brent, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? Good. And say hi to Nancy. Hello, Nancy. Hi, Brent. <laughs> we're looking, we're both looking forward to the movies that you're going to discuss today. And, you know, Brent's written two books and he talks about the law of attraction within the movies. And it's kind of interesting because um, Nancy's been in the military for you know, Eon, she, she uh, retired from the military, she went to the UN, she retired from that, and now she teaches women um, uh, these courses on, on how to get confidence and how to work, walk in a man's world. And I bet if you think about it, Brent, over the two minutes, you can probably come up with a movie um, <laughs> that, that showcases that beautifully. Uh, Absolutely. So on one the spot. Yeah, yeah no, there's, one that's out, there's one that's out right now that, that addresses that, so... <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, well, we got a minute. Tell us what it is. It's Letters from Baghdad, which is oh, a documentary. Yeah. yeah, it's a documentary that tells the life story of Gertrude Bell, who is often called the female Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, she was significantly involved in helping to shape the borders of Iraq and helping to establish the government there after World War One. Oh, wow. And, stop. Um, there, we're going to go to commercial. Stop, yeah. stop, stop. You're going to talk about this when we come back. <laughs> How does that sound, Nancy? Does that sound about right on? Oh, yeah. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. We are going to go to a commercial break. You are listening to Frankie Sensen Moore. It's always fun here. Brent Marchand is here. Nancy Osborne is here. And I am your host, Frankie Picasso. And we will be right back. Don't go anywhere because we want you waiting for us when we get back. (laughs) Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sensen Moore will be right back after we pay the bills. night my husband was laughing as he was reading about the differences between men and women according to the article men get single tusks or hiccups more often than women everyone knows that women are better at multitasking than men i'm good at both multitasking and procrastinating which means right now there are 28 things that i'm putting off until later 
What's another word for a person who puts everything off until the last minute? A cunk-taker. Women blink nearly twice as much as men. And while men can read smaller print than women, women can hear better. In fact, when a woman says, what? She heard you. She's just giving you a chance to change what you said. It's Marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's Marching Star Wars movie The Force Awakens has eclipsed the annual gross domestic product of 10 countries. Officially the highest grossing movie of all time. Did you know that Ewoks speak a combination of Tibetan and Nepalese? Harrison Ford, the rocket jock, complained that when flying the Millennium Falcon, the cockpit switches wouldn't stay in place when he flipped them. So the set designers for The Force Awakens made sure there were new cockpit switches for Han Solo's iconic ship. I thought it was interesting that the lightsaber noise was created from the familiar hum of an old television. Do you think you can tell a lot about somebody based on what color lightsaber they have? Why did the angry Jedi cross the road? To get to the dark side? Maybe? It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's Frankie Says the More. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and we are back. Nancy Osborne was my guest. Brent Marshall is here. He's going to talk about the movies. But first, let me just remind you to go to www.igotthis.space. Brent, welcome. Thank you. Letters from Baghdad. Wow, look at you. Yeah, this one, <laughs> this one may be a little, a little difficult to find because it's playing in kind of very limited release right now. But mm-hmm. it's a wonderfully put, wonderfully invented documentary that tells the life story of Gertrude Bell, who was a British diplomat and writer, uh, who played a significant role in helping to shape the borders of Iraq after World War One. And it was really significant for her in the fact that. Here she was, a woman basically trying to navigate, you know, in a man's world. And um, she was very uh, fortunate to have received support from some very significant allies like Winston Churchill and uh, T.E. Lawrence. Uh, but there were still an awful lot of people who's like, who were saying, well, what does a woman know about geopolitics? <laughs> you know, right, so, exactly. So it was, it was, I still saying that. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> or Hillary president. <laughs> uh, so it, it was really, um, you know, quite an accomplishment for her to achieve as much as she did. And yeah. it was interesting also in the fact that there there were some regrets because there were things that she tried to get through that basically people didn't listen to, which probably accounts for some of the problems we've got now. But uh, she was a very astute student of the uh, the Middle East, and she knew a lot about the nuances, about the the various factions and the various tribes that were working there at the time. And um, she was dealing with a lot of diplomats who, unfortunately, were trying to impose Western values on a culture that was not used to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it was, it's a very interesting film. It's, it's all told in her own words from her letters and her writings that wow. are voiced over by uh, Tilda Swinton. Oh, she's great. I love her. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of archival footage that hasn't been seen probably in years, if ever, uh, showing, depicting that part of the world back at the uh, end of the 19th century and early 20th century. So yeah, how incredible! I, I, it, wow. Yeah, it's really, it's really quite good, quite good. How interesting yeah. would it be to have have, have had you, uh, Nancy, to, you know, to come up and speak before that film was played or something? 
<laughs> oh, I'd love to. And I, I watched the trailer because I saw that was going to be on today. And now I just can't wait to see the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else you got for us, Brent? Uh, the other thing, the other movies I have today is um, a romantic comedy that is in many ways, I think, going to help to change the genre. It's called The Big Sick. Oh, which yeah. Is, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful comedy about the uh, the true life uh, courtship of comedian um, Camille Nanjiani and his wife Emily Gordon, um, and it's it's not what you expect out of the typical romantic comedy. This has got an edge to it in terms of the humor. It's also got an edge to it in terms of the nature of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have uh, two people from very different cultures trying to make a relationship work, and um, you know, thrown into the mix, you have um, serious illness on top of mm-hmm. it. So it's it's a really a very interesting combination of factors that come together to tell this very heartfelt yet very funny story. So I really recommend this one a lot. Can't wait to see that movie. Yeah, I saw the trailers, loved it. Can't wait to see it. Then another movie I have is um, one that actually you recommended to me some time ago. Uh, just opened here in the States. It's a Canadian film called Maudie. Mm-hmm. Which Loved is it. the yeah the the biographical story of um, Canadian folk art painter Maud Lewis, who's often been described as like Canada's Grandma Moses. And it was interesting <laughs> because she she overcame a number of very significant challenges to be able to achieve uh, what she did. She was uh, born with a very severe case of juvenile arthritis, and that affected her ability to move and to be able to paint and so forth. But she ended up uh, coming through and achieving national recognition for what she did. Absolutely um, incredible, yeah. And her paintings are so, I guess they're folk art, really childlike in, in some ways. But um, And honestly, but I hadn't even heard of her until that movie. And I'm an artist. Like, I was they're, crazy. They're, they're fun and they're colorful. And they yeah. really, they do a great job of, you know, depicting, um, you know, rural life at the time. Um, Sally Hawkins plays the the lead in the movie, and she, she is, is just terrific. I mean, I've seen her just do some good work before, but never anything comparable to this. I mean, she's just terrific. And I hope her, she gets uh, an award for that. Yeah, I hope she does too. Um, and also, um, her very curmudgeonly husband, um, yeah, played by Ethan Hawke. Hawk, uh, it's some of the best work I've seen him do as well. So it's a really a dynamite duo that you got leading this film. Did you guys see it? Any of you see it? Not yet. Not yet? Okay. Yeah. And then my fourth movie today is uh, a really interesting one. That's um, It's been out for a couple of weeks now. It's called Beatrice at Dinner. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really um, very kind of darkly satirical film that in many ways presents um, kind of a clash of the haves and the have-nots. Uh, features Selma Hayek as a, a Mexican immigrant to the U.S. who is a massage therapist and has a very holistic view of the world, takes on things like, uh, you know, the, the, the New Age philosophies and so forth. And she's unexpectedly invited to a dinner party for one of her wealthy clients who is hosting this uh, celebration for the closing of a lucrative business deal. And all of the guests are the absolute opposite in terms of their viewpoint yeah. uh, from her. Uh, very self-serving, very... Um, you know, get what you can because it's 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 not going to happen any other way. You know that sort of mindset. So you have um, this kind of clash of cultures, this clash of uh, classes. John Lithgow, uh, right? That's kind of her yeah. Cousin. John Lithgow is he's excellent as the um, as one of the really 
very um, um, conservative, right-wing <laughs> businessman types. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, I love that. Yeah, she's, she, she says to him, "There's a line in the in the in the trailer. I think she says, you know, she goes, it's really easy to kill things.' She goes, try doing what I do, putting them back together. Yeah, like, exactly. And that's so telling because he's a hunter. You know, they want weren't they going to go on a safari or something? Yeah, mm-hmm. so happy to kill things and. Well, and, and the other thing that I liked about this movie too is that she really um, tries to get across to the idea of these guests that you know we're all connected, we're all part of a larger whole, and mm-hmm. if we're going to heal this planet and heal ourselves, we better wake up and start realizing that. Um, and you know, the, her um, her fellow dinner guests are just kind of clueless about all of it, so she has to really drive the point home, and it puts her face to the test in many ways because. It places her in a position of saying, how do I achieve that? How do I get people mm-hmm. to listen? Do I do it out of revenge, or do I take a more, you know, sane approach to do this? So it's a I really think Al Gore's interesting... in that position right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's a really interesting movie. It's, it's um, it, you and I never love she, quite... no, she's not glamorous. Like, you know, she really, I mean, she's married to one of the wealthiest men in the world, right? And here she's yeah. doing this, this role, which is, you know, the... Ex- an oxymoron, almost. Um, but yet, yeah, and, you know, the Salma that we know, who's stunningly beautiful, is you know dressed down, no makeup, just really herself. Well, and, and, it's a, great. and it's another really, really fine performance too. I mean, uh, this is another one that's it's it's up in the same ranks with uh, Sally Hawkins for Maudie. I mean, I've I've always been a Salma Hayek fan, but uh, I haven't seen her do work this good probably since when she did Frida many years yeah. ago. Yeah, and and that got um, kind of trashed, didn't it? People didn't get that. Um, kind of. It, it was a movie that had some um, had some flaws in it that could have been handled a little better than it was. Mm-hmm. But um, but it was um, you know, um, in many ways almost the same the same kind of role for for uh, Salma Hayek and the fact that she's you know playing kind of a radical character here. So yeah. It's it interesting, really though, that these radical, movies, you know, these are really good it. movies, Brent, you know? <laughs> these are movies that you have to go out of your way to go see. Yes, although, <laughs> Where we it's, live. although it's interesting because um, some of these movies are beginning to get a wider release now, particularly Maudie and Beatrice at Dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, they were open, They opened in very limited release, but they've developed such a following now that uh, they're going to be opening in a, a greater number of theaters, at least here in the states. I, I'm not sure what's going on up in yeah. Canada, but but here in the states, these movies have kind of they've caught fire, which is unusual for independent oh my God. movies like for Maudie, that. for a Canadian movie. Oh, I can't yeah. believe that it's actually yeah. even being shown there. But wow, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> well, so you if know, you were going to pick get... one, Nancy, what would be your first pick to go see? Ooh, that's a really tough one. Um, I, I, I think the, the Selma Hayek film sounds really interesting for me, the Beatrix at, at mm-hmm. dinner, but um, I'd have to go with the, the letters from Baghdad because uh, okay. I think that's too close to my heart. Yeah, yeah. I want to see all of them, and I probably will. Uh, I, I, I often go to two movies a weekend. <laughs> I love you know, theater. I, I love all, all of these will end up on DVD and Blu-ray yeah. and, and uh, streaming services at some point, so... Even if you don't get to see them immediately, you'll certainly get to see them at some point. Yeah. And there's some really good ones upcoming, too, right? I think that yeah. um, summer, yeah, summer. Uh, what was the big blockbuster this summer? Um, the big blockbuster so far has probably has been Wonder Woman. Yay. Oh, yeah. That did get. 
I think they actually got more, you know, views than, than they ever expected. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, it had a very, um, a very catchy story to it. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it was um, not being exploitative in a lot of ways, which yeah. certainly the temptation for that would have been there. Um, but I heard some good... ridiculous stuff the other day about, you know, people trashing because she's Israeli. I'm like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? Oh, geez. <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was just a really a wonderful it woman. It was a fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah, I loved yep. it. She was perfect. Yeah. She looked gorgeous. And, she was perfect for the role. Well, and the other thing that I liked about it, too, is that the way her character was originally introduced into the world of cinema was uh, it came up last year with the release of Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it really didn't do her character very much justice. And I was really concerned about, okay, how is this going to debut when it finally makes it into a film of its own? But it wiped away all the mishandling that happened with that particular introduction and made for a wonderful summer blockbuster. Yeah, she was amazing. I loved it. Everybody I know has loved that movie. So well done. Good job, people. <laughs> Definitely. Good casting. Good everything. Yeah. And then the next big uh, summer blockbuster that's probably coming up is uh, Dunkirk, which opens up. Yes. The They've really oh, been promoting the heck so out of good. that one. And Christopher yeah. Nolan, the director, he's a wonderful director, so I'm really looking forward to see what he comes up with. So I can't wait for you to come back on, and we'll talk about that. That movie looks amazing to me. So we've got less than a minute. I want to thank you, Brent, as usual, for coming on and giving us these wonderful reviews of these fantastic movies that we all have to go see. Nancy Osborne, thank you so much for coming on and, and, and telling us about your life and about all the wonderful things that you were doing. I got this. Come on, girls. You got it. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> thank Michelle, you. thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it. Um, as usual, all of you listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Frankie Sense and More every week. I love you, and um, I'm so happy to be here. Let, let's go out and... You know, go save some animals or people or something this week. (laughs) Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye.